Well, it's so wonderful to be here, and um, I want to thank Dale. I, I, I get I get these comments. Mark, you're so organized, and you're so yeah, <laughs> she's so organized. <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm so delightful that we're a team together here for for the last 18 months. It's been the two of us, and uh, but I want to thank you for what you did today of putting that together to honor our dads. And I know you built a team. And uh, most, if you're visiting today, uh, Jill and I don't live here, and so we're kind of remote, and it's tough for us to do things. And Dale steps up and says, "I'll take care of it." And that's the last I. I don't ever worry about it, but it come in and I had biscuits and I had gravy. And, and if you got an email yesterday, and if you got the picture, then you weren't using a Gmail app. If you were using a Google Mail, then you got a whole bunch of hieroglyphics that you were supposed to interpret into this lovely little graphic. <laughs> I do the best I can. Yeah, it's not my real job. Um, I'm going to switch this a little bit and then have you, okay? Um, Darlene is here. Does everybody know Darlene? She said Mark this morning and two people turned. <laughs> that, that's his name and my name is Mark, okay. Um, anyway, they, they head up our fireworks and we, we don't have a sheet today, but if you're interested in working, particularly on the third and the fourth, which is Saturday and Sunday, you can either see this lady, uh, if you know her contact information not you could send it to info at the rivers and we'll forward it along or just run up and say here's here's my number call me whatever just that's who you want to talk to about that and that would be fantastic uh, coming up the end of July uh, the Jackson family has graciously invited us to their home for our first baptique you say I've never been to one well it's where we have a baptism and a barbecue not necessarily in that order. Uh, we, uh, first time I had participated in a baptique, we baptized 73, and then we ate. And it was after Sunday service, and so food was about four, and the kids were in a riot. So the next year, we ate and then baptized in shallow water, so no one had the 30-minute rule. See, you're supposed to laugh, but that's funny. Anyway. We will have service that Sunday. If you're interested in being baptized, if you've never been or you're baptizing an infant, let us know. We'd be delighted to have you participate. There's not going to be a class. I'm going to teach that Sunday morning on the value of water baptism. So if you come that Sunday to service and you say, wow, that's me, go to Walmart, buy something you can jump in the pool in, preferably not white, and um, <laughs> or skimpy, uh, And we'll go over to the Jackson home. We'll have a barbecue, uh, baptism, and just a fun family time together. Okay, and that's in July. It's in the back of your program there. As always, uh, thank you for being faithful in your giving. Um, many of you last week uh, made a trip up to one of the baskets, and that's fantastic. A lot of you give online. Continue to do that. We appreciate it so much. So with that, today's a special day. And so I want to invite some special ladies to come and share with us. Jill, Stephen. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to me 
maybe 50% of the crowd. Um, I'm Jill, Mark's other half, and this is... <laughs> we don't wing it. Are we good? All right. So um, we just wanted to just share a little bit about Father's Day um, from our perspectives. And uh, Bibi had something that she was going to share. Um, I've thought a lot about my dad. Um, I lost my dad in 2020. So this is my second Father's Day without him. And I was it was the coolest thing. I was just at Starbucks over across the street. And um, just a few minutes ago, I walked in. I was standing behind a gal, and I could tell she <laughs> figured out she was out of money. And so she turned to her father, um, or what I assumed was her father. And I could tell that he, he reached for his wallet. So it was kind of like, Dad. And he was probably... He was at least 80 years old, okay? Because he kind of shuffled up to the front. And it just reminded me of a last moment I had with my dad when Mark and I went to Seattle. Um, and we took him to Starbucks. And that's the last place he went with us. And he was 98 years old. And he was not bedridden. I mean, he lived the life he wanted to live. And it was a great, God-filled life. He was a legacy for my family, and he, he passed down an amazing heritage that had been handed down to him. I don't know how far back the, you know, my family has in the heritage of believing in Christ and being Christ followers, but I'm the benefit of that, and so are my children and my grandchildren, and I don't know if there's anything else in this world that... I can be more grateful for it than a dad who was willing to put in the work to teach us about Jesus as children. And you know what? You, you know, when we grow up and we get into our teen years, I mean, teen years, we're like, I ain't doing that. I mean, how many of us know that? And we kind of turn away from that for a season. And we do our thing. And where does it lead us to. It leads us to a life of emptiness where we, if we know or someone comes and says, listen, I have an answer for you. Um, it's Jesus. My dad pointed me that direction from the beginning. And I'm really, really grateful for that. But there's one that's even better than our earthly dads. And the best they knew how to do. My dad was a World War II vet. So he was pretty, he was that quiet, you know, type um, but he taught me a lot of things, even through his quietness. You know, I remembered about him making us orange Julius with orange sherbet, you know. And I learned to play baseball with my dad. Um, we went on family vacations every year. You know, he went to work every day. He was an aeronautical engineer. And engineers don't talk. They just do, you know. <laughs> um, but I just think back to... What he, he did his absolute best for our family, and it's what we can always hope for in our earthly dads. But our heavenly dad, as we sang earlier today, he's perfect. He's perfect in every way. And it reminded me of a story I heard that if God played golf, do you know what his score would be? It'd be 18. Is that two rounds of golf? 
really? It's okay, an 18 hole. Okay, sorry, you can tell I don't play golf. Um, it'd be 18 because he's perfect. He's perfect in every way. So if you're a person who didn't have an earthly dad, or your earthly dad wasn't what you hoped he would be, I mean, there's so many people in this room, so there are many, many different experiences in each one of our lives of what we would think of when we think of our earthly dad. But our heavenly father is the one who is perfect. He loves us perfect. He created you and me in his image. He is not, he doesn't make mistakes. So I just want to honor not only my earthly dad today, but my heavenly father. I want to honor my husband too because he really taught me what kindness and graciousness and loving and accountability in parenting was all about. Um, he probably helped me understand really what balance and goodness and love and kindness and compassion was all about in parenting. So I just want to say thank you and I want to honor you today. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay. So I didn't have a father that I grew up with, but I was blessed enough to adopt my friend's dads most of the time. And I have a, I had a gentleman that I would call dad all the time and he would let me buy him father's day cards and my friends let, you know, they let me borrow him. And, um, still now to the day, whenever I think father's day, I think of him. And I've recently, uh, reunited with my biological dad, um, which is a blessing in itself. And, um, I called him this morning and he always says, I don't deserve you to accept me. And I said to him that I've had the direction from other men and I've respected other men um, as father figures and he deserves that respect as well. It doesn't matter if he was there or not. So I did pull up something from the internet of what a the Bible says about a dad. And it says, fathers, like mothers, are pillars in the development of a child's emotional well-being. Children look to their fathers to lay down the rules and enforce them. They also look to their fathers to provide a feeling of security, both physical and emotional. So for me, I didn't have that growing up from an earthly person, but I do have that now from my Heavenly Father. And funny enough, we didn't really talk about what we were going to talk about, and it kind of coincided a little bit. And in the music, too, I'm like, wow, that song, Good, Good, Good Father, always brought, brought me such comfort because I always thought that I had to have an earthly father to be whole. And no, I didn't. I was at peace. So when I was reunited with my biological dad, he was just a bonus. So, and today I do want to honor my husband. He's a good dad. He is um, the best that he can be. Um, there's another one that I want to share, another picture that I took this morning of something that one of my boys gave him that kind of cracked me up. This is a dad from a child's perspective. Number one, infinite source of advice. Two, protector, motivator, and coach. Three, teller of bad jokes. Oh, dad jokes. <laughs> and this was my favorite, and it reminded me of what she just shared, walking ATM. Oh, so <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of made me laugh a little bit. So thank you so much. Awesome. Happy Father's Day. So we have a gift for...
the dads. And we would like to pass those out. So, um, because we don't know who all the dads are in the room, can you raise your hand if you are a dad? Thank you. So these are really cool hats. And the word on these hats are, is legend. So there is, a, there is a children's hat that goes with it that says legacy. And legend and legacy. So just let it be a reminder of you remembering, you know, our good, good father and who he created you to be. So, happy Father's Day. Thank you. My daughter designed this. Our daughter designed this. Yes. The legend and legacy. You know... I have to tell one dad story because I'm, I'm not preaching today and I have to get some time in because it's just what, it's in the, it's in the DNA. Uh, <laughs> when our oldest went to college, that was very hard for me. Uh, I couldn't speak her name for several weeks. Somebody would say, how's Lindsay doing? Don't <laughs> It's like, I'm just a mess. So when we, she'd come home for any holiday, we would take her to the airport and I'd get all whatever and and I would always, this is on BB's story, by the way, I'd always reach out and want to shake their hand. And I remember the first time I did that to Lindsay, she said, no, Daddy, I want to hug you. And I said, no, you want to shake my hand. <clears throat> and after that trip, which was her, her first Thanksgiving to fly back to Missouri after Thanksgiving break, they all wanted the dad handshake because there was always a $100 bill. In the, in the, in the hand. <laughs> so it was, I'll shake your hand, then I'll give you a hug. So did we have enough hats for everybody? I mean, you only have one head, so one hat. It just makes All right. Um, we had a lot of fun last week uh, as we uh, heard the word of God from Exodus 20. Talked that we'll have no other gods before God. We're not to have any idols. So it is my delight to uh, welcome Chris Jackson back to our podium this morning. Would you welcome him as he continues his series? Thank you, Mark. Well, good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> I got to hold it way down here because I get real loud. Happy Father's Day to all the men here who know what it is to be a dad. It's a lot more than just a title. And uh, it's funny that we're talking about Father's Day, and when I tell you what I'm going to share with you, it came on my heart literally while I was sitting there, and the girls were up here sharing what I ran to the back and quickly did on the computer, so I'm going to share it with you a little small story. I grew up with a dad that left when I was two years old, came back on and off until I was about 11, um, at 13 told me I wasn't his son, told me, um, told me he was just trying to be a good inspirational role model in my life, and everybody 
in and around my family, including him and his brother and all, and my grandparents, uh, God bless their soul, they're not here today, we all were under the impression this person was my dad. Well, I'm going to share some really crazy news that I learned earlier this year. Through Ancestry DNA, because I just decided to do it, I found out I biologically had a different dad when DNA said I had like all these family matches of people that I did not know the names. And I started to take a deep look into these people and message them and ask them about a family member in Southern California in 1980 around the time I was born and this person was in Colorado. She says, yeah, I do have family that lives down there. So I search her maiden name. I find this man online. We're friends. We have friends on Facebook, mutual friends on Facebook, me and this individual. I look at his picture and we just, my wife and I just begin to cry. Kelly, can you put the picture up on the board? Does it work? That's my dad that I just met in March for the first time ever in my life. I got to send him that picture this morning and tell him happy Father's Day, first time with the laughing emoji. And we cracked up about it. I met my real-life father, my real-life biological dad for the first time in my life just uh, two months ago. And uh, that's a crazy Father's Day story and being reunited. And if I, if I told you the spiritual side of how things had worked out, it would really blow you away. Um, I was in my car, well, I was, I was doing my current Bible study that I do. I've been working, I like to start at the beginning of the Bible and work through it a few chapters a day. And uh, I had just read in Joshua, I'm sorry, I had just read in, uh, I was finishing up Deuteronomy around the time I was getting ready to land at the airport to meet him physically for the first time. And as I was reading Deuteronomy, I had about 10 chapters left, and I said, this is a 45-minute flight down to Orange County. I'm going to go ahead and read these last 10 chapters of Deuteronomy. So I zipped through the last 10 chapters of Deuteronomy, and it ends with Moses, is, Moses dies and Joshua becomes the next leader. This is the point that the children of Israel had wandered in the desert lost for 40 years. And I thought, wow, God, how crazy is it that something in my spirit said, read the rest of Deuteronomy today. And right when I was, we were like on the tarmac, landed, I'm finishing that, and I'm reading that Joshua is about to lead the people to the promised land. And I'm thinking, wow, the children of Israel wandered 40 years lost, and today I'm about to meet my dad for the first time because I was lost, but now I'm found at 40 years old. That's amazing, right? That's the kind of things that God does in my life. And um, um, there's, a, there's a spiritual battle going on in the lives of many of us. Some of us see it and some of us don't. And today we're going to talk a little bit about breaking those barriers down and um, I was thinking about last week. Last week we talked about identifying idols. It was a three-week series that we're doing called Removing Idols. And last week we talked about identifying idols. I talked to you about my hero, Arnold. Um, talked to you about the new Arnold, Dwayne Johnson. But my real heroes right now are the uh, strongmen competitors because I'm a competitive power lifter, so I'm into strongmen. And right now I just want you to know I'm up here ministering because this is where, this is the altar I built in my life is to be here on a Sunday morning. But right now is the final day of the 2021 World's Strongest Man and four-time winner Brian Shaw is like in second place going to the podium. It's happening right now in Old Town Sack in the Old Town area. And uh, I haven't been able to get over there this week because they didn't sell tickets and then with COVID and then last minute they decided to sell tickets and they sold out in an hour and I didn't even know. So I was a little bummed about that, but uh, it's okay. Um, I wouldn't have been there this Sunday anyways for the final. So... <laughs> so I know we don't have a, I know you don't want me to go long like I did last week because they tell me I have 90 minutes and I can usually end up going about 110. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but I wanted to touch back on what we talked about last week. So we talked about identifying idols in our lives, and the idols that I talked about were modern-day idols that we have. The number one modern-day idol that I talked about, these won't be in your slides, Kelly, just a little recap. You know you skip recap in Netflix? You can't skip this recap. Um, number one, we talked about self-image. We find ourselves to be an idol. We idolize our lives, everything about us, the way we feel about ourselves, the way we think about ourselves, our self-image. Um, then I talked about money and consumerism. That's a big idol for a lot of people today. I talked about entertainment. Huge idols. You know, where's my entertainment idol? Strongman competition. I'm not there today. Put that back. It's got to it's take a back seat to God. Um, and then I talked about lust, and not just sexual lust. We're talking about lust for power, lust for money, lustful desire. Desire as a whole, not just, usually people say lust, and immediately you're like, oh, I know what he's talking about. No, we're talking about desires. We all have desires that we seek out for our lives. And so uh, last, week, last week we talked about modern day idols, and today we're going to talk about the OG idols in the Bible. This is, this is, this is, rigid, this is the, the first time that God steps in, shows himself as who he is, and debunks idolatry. And it happened in Egypt. So I'll give you a quick run cap on that when we get there. Um, you know, did you ever hang out places when you were a kid that your parents told you not to hang out at? I did. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's not guilty. The, the parents are watching from home. Um, how about this? Did you ever make a decision that went against something you were taught? Did you ever make a decision to go against something that God said not to do? Man. You know, uh, there's an old saying that I have amongst friends. If you hang out at the barbershop too long, you're going to get a haircut. So, today we're going to talk about the children of Israel, 400 years of bondage in Egypt, and we're going to talk about how they hung out way too long in Egypt. I know that we all grew up in Sunday school and we listened to the story of Moses and the children of Israel being led out of Egypt, and what an amazing story, and, and Moses is your, your Old Testament um, uh, your, your Old Testament vision of what the coming Christ was going to be, you know. If the people as a whole are in bondage, the Savior comes, leads them out, and leads them to the promised land. He was, a, he was, a, he was an image of what Jesus was going to come to be. And so uh, there's more to the story than what you read in Sunday school. There's more to the story than what we've always been taught when we think about these ten plagues that happened in Egypt. We picture the ten plagues, this is how I pictured it, I just pictured it, growing up in Sunday school, you talked about the ten plagues, um, these things happened in Egypt, and ten days in a row, these things happened, and the people left Egypt because they wanted to worship God, right? That's what we were taught, they wanted to go, they wanted to worship God, they wanted to be free, <laughs> but I'd like you to, if you have a chance this week and you'd like to verify what I'm talking about, you can go back and reread the book of Exodus on your own later, because uh, that's just not exactly the depiction of what really was going on, even though the end of Genesis leads us into Exodus, and we talk about the children of Israel have been 400 years in bondage. Well, 
The children of Israel had spent 400 years worshiping other gods and worshiping other idols in Egypt. And there was a big separation between their desires to worship our God and to worship the gods of Egypt. And how do I know this? Well, I'm going to give you a quick snippet. You're in Egypt for 400 years. You've heard all the stories about God before you came to Egypt. You leave Egypt because this one guy, Moses, that you all thought was crazy, leads you into the desert. He leads you up to the Red Sea where you turn around and you go, you killed us, we're going to die. You brought us here to die. Now there's a sea, okay? We live around a lot of lakes, rivers, streams, but there's a much larger body of water. We call it a sea. There's a sea, and you're standing there on the beachfront, and the water separates, and you're able to walk across it on dry land. You get to the other side. You see all these miracles that have happened over the last year as these uh, things happened in Egypt. They get all the way to the other side. Moses, the crazy guy in their eyes who led them out, goes up on the mountain to meet God. And they immediately turn around and say, somebody make us a God again, please. Somebody rebuild a new God. So that is a good image to understand that there was heavy, heavy, heavy idolatry and worship of other gods going on in the lives of all the children of Israel before and after their departure from, ex from, from Egypt. So, this thing's falling over. There we go. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what these ten plagues represented. Why God had the design to do these, why these ten plagues happened. What they really mean. And like I said, this is God's original way of the first time you're going to read in the Bible where idolatry is removed from the hearts of the people. And so, um, again, I, I did these last week. I'll do them again. An idol in the dictionary, Google dictionary, was an image or representation of a God used as an object of worship or a person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. So we're going to go over the ten plagues right now. I'm not going to keep you here all day because it's Father's Day Sunday. I'm going to build you up for next week. You better come back. I'm going to start in Exodus 7. Exodus 7, 20 through 21. Moses and Pharaoh did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Now, we hear this story, and all that we picture, what we learned in Sunday school, was that Moses walked up, hit the Nile River. It was their main source. If you, if you actually take a look at Egypt, and you look at where, um, where, where, where the uh, pharaoh lived, and then much further south is Atlantic Goshen, Everything, the whole lifeline of everything that happened in Egypt is based off the Nile River. If you look at a map today of Egypt, all life, all people live along the Nile River because 90% of people live near water. It's just a fact. And so by Moses doing this to the water, it's a representation that the lifeline to everything that's living has just been separated, has been changed, has been altered, is now no good. So what was really going on in this story is this was a direct representation and blow against 
one of the Egyptian gods. That God is Hapi. Hapi up there. I have Hapi. Hapi. Hapi was the Egyptian god of the Bible. This Egyptian god was the water bearer. And the first bullet point in your notes is that this Egyptian plague was the water turned to blood. So what God was doing in this story is that God was showing both the children of Israel and the Egyptians that Hapi, the god they worshipped, didn't really have power over the water. Wasn't really in control. But we know the story. The sorcerers of Egypt came in and they also could turn some water into blood. And they said, oh, it's just a hocus pocus, just a little magic trick. And when this happened, remember, like I said, you picture in your stories that you learned as a child growing up that the children of Israel are living in Egypt, right? They're living amongst the Egyptians. They really weren't. They were living down in Goshen, which is south of where the Egyptians were all living. And that's where they were living, down in Goshen. So this, uh, this, this plague affected both Egypt and Israel, the children of Israel. So it affected, uh, it, it affected the city and it affected Goshen. Why? God was getting the attention of everybody, including the Israelites, that this God, Hopi, he's not real. He has no power. He's a fake God. I am the Lord your God. This was God's first, this was God's first move when he strikes down on the, on, the, on the water. So let's go to the second one. Exodus 8, 5 through 6. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and, pro- and ponds, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So we hear this story. This is one of my favorites. I actually do another sermon on the frogs. It's a really good story, I'll tell you. Um, You guys know the story of the frogs. The frogs came up. They went into everything. They went into the homes. They went into your bed. They were in your kneading bowl. You couldn't sleep without frogs crawling on you, whether you were in Maine, Egypt, or whether you were in Goshen. There were frogs crawling on you. Anybody get bullfrogs around here? I get the frogs come in my backyard. They're in my pool sometimes. I'm, I'm a city boy from L.A., man. The frogs creep me out when I find them in my pool. I'm like, I don't want to touch it. You know, so, so I'm trying to picture, I'm trying to picture frogs in everything you have. Everything. Where you cook, where you eat, and where you sit and pee. That's a joke from last week. <laughs> we'll just pull it back right there. All the transparency you get this week. Um, so the funny thing about that story is, I'll, I'll make this a sermon one day, was, uh, you know, Pharaoh cries out to Moses, Moses, do something about this. Pray to your God. Make these frogs go away. We're miserable, we're miserable, we're miserable. And Moses looks at Pharaoh and he says, you pick the time. And you know what his answer was? Do it tomorrow. Why? Why tomorrow? There's frogs crawling on you. Why would you want to do this tomorrow? I believe it was because uh, Pharaoh still wanted to believe that God wasn't all-powerful and that he was going to be able to get rid of the frogs on his own. And a lot of us tell God tomorrow. That's the problem we have in our lives. We don't want to be a yes God today. We're a yes, okay God, maybe tomorrow. So I'll give you that sermon one day. 
So um, what was going on with the frogs here in the story? See, in, in Sunday school, you just read this story about the frogs. It was horrible. They, Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I'll let the people go. Just pray for me and make the frogs go away. You pick the time. Do it tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> tomorrow sounds good, but we're all suffering over here. So this was a shot against their god, Heket. Heket was the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, renewal. Heket, the Egyptian goddess, had the head of a frog. Did you know that? It's another god in Egypt. So for the second time in a row, now another thing you need to learn is these 12, or these 10 plagues took place over a period of about 8 to 12 months. This did not happen in 8 to 10 days. This did not happen in 3 weeks. This was a period of about 8 to, to 12 months, somewhere in that timeline. So the Egyptian god here is frogs coming from the Nile River. I'm sorry, is that your second bullet point? Frogs coming from the Nile River? Frogs coming from the Nile River. Um... So now here's two gods that were worshipped in Egypt, revered, idol, idol, idolatrized. That's a word. <laughs> we'll just stick with worshipped. Um, these are two gods. In, in, But the thing about these two plagues is that these plagues affected both the children of Israel and the Egyptians. So now in Exodus 7, I'm sorry, Exodus 8, verses 17 through 19, they did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt came, became gnats. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. That'd be freaky. That'd be freaky. It says, but when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. So here... The Egyptian sorcerers were not able to make a secondary move of reproducing what had just happened. They were able to do it with the blood. They were able to do something with the frogs, but they weren't able to do anything with the gnats. And this third plague affected both Egypt and the children of Israel. Because remember, I'll tell you again, the children of Israel were south in Goshen. So... Uh, since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, this is as bad as the, the this is as bad as the frogs, right? You got gnats crawl, you got gnats on you, landing on you, you're swatting them away. This is Egypt. I would imagine it's probably hot like Yuba City, but humid as well. I don't know. I, I've heard from a lot of people who visit over there that it's very hot. So you're very hot, you're very uncomfortable, you're miserable, and you have these gnats swarming all over you after the frog thing, right? So so you're sitting there and you're going. Put yourself in the shoes of the children of Israel. Hey, the water source that we've been using for the last 400 years turned into blood after that Moses guy showed up. It's kind of weird. Hey, do you guys remember last month when those frogs came up out of the Nile and they were like in everything? Like never, I've never seen anything like that. It's crazy. And now today these gnats are all over everything. Something's going on. What's going on? Meanwhile, in the meantime, I'm certain that Moses is sharing these things with the, uh, with the leaders. So they're aware of what's going on, but they're like us. We have trouble. We have trouble believing these things. We have trouble really grasping and accepting that what we're hearing is the truth. Right? So, I think I cut off in there. Uh, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. 
So this third plague was a shot against Geb. Jeb. Geb or Jeb, I don't know. I don't know how you say it. This is the Egyptian god of the earth. The, the Egyptian god of the earth. The Egyptian god Geb was over the dust of the earth. So here you go. Third god in a row. Children of Israel, worshiping idolatry, worshiping these false gods in Egypt, are like, hey, that Hopi god, all the water turned to blood. Hey, that Heket, that frog god, all the frogs were, like, bothering us. And we're sacrificing good grains here. You know, we're, we're doing all this hard work. Why is, our, why is this god making us suffer? So then this third, gnats came upon that's the third one. Gnats came upon. The Egyptian plague was, the third plague was gnats came upon. Now, this was the last plague that affected both Egypt and the children of Israel. Because now what God is going to do is he's going to make a shift in getting everybody's attention. Because now God has the attention of both the Egyptians, <laughs> Moses, apparently, obviously. Moses just keeps, you know, Go and do this now. Okay. Moses is on board fully now. Uh, the, the Israelites have now said, hey, you've got our attention. What's going on here? Plagues 4 through 10, guess what? All these plagues continued to affect Egypt. But they did not affect Goshen. That's an amazing story. Something we kind of glance by when you're reading the Bible super fast, you miss this verse, Exodus 8, 22 through 24. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. So I'm going to make my presence. So now I've got everybody's attention. Now that I have your attention, I want you to know, here's what I'm going to do next. And guess what? It's not going to affect you this time. But it is going to affect all of these people. Are you ready? Here comes the next one. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured out into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials throughout the land of Egypt was ruined by the flies. So let's look at this fourth god. Oh, because guess what? There is another god idolized in this story. Kepri. Kepri was the Egyptian god of creation, movement of the sun, rebirth Kepri. The Egyptian god had the head of a fly. Isn't this an amazing story? I bet you didn't realize all this when you learned this growing up in Sunday school. You just thought that God wanted to punish the Egyptians because they were being so mean to the Israelites and was time to save his people yeah a lot of that was going on in the story but there was a lot more to this story because the israelites were also directly doing the exact same things that the egyptians were doing so so now god is saying here's what i'm going to do in egypt but i'm not going to allow it to affect you i'm now going to show you all not just egypt not just goshen i'm going to show you all that your god kepri has no power that i am greater than kepri and when I do it, this time, since I want to save you and you're my people, I'm not going to allow this to affect you. That's what God did. So, 
fourth bullet point here is the Egyptian plague was the fourth plague was the swarm of flies. Look that up, swarms of flies. We might get lucky, man. I'll get you home by 1130 today. Say, so we've covered four different plagues so far. The three of first, which uh, affected Israel. Now the fourth plague shuts down another god, doesn't affect Israel. So now, if you're Israel, you have to be thinking to yourself, what's going on here? Maybe this Moses guy is really a, repre- you know, a, 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 is really a representative of God, the God that our ancestors worshipped, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, maybe, just maybe, we're doing things wrong here. So let's look at the next one. Now remember, realistically, these are happening about a month apart. Exodus 9, 3 through 7. The hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock. Well, that's not good. You eat that stuff. Uh, We'll bring a terrible plague on your livestock livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. Here's my favorite part again. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. Now here's the best part. See, you missed this in Sunday school. This is how much Pharaoh was like, what's going on? Pharaoh sent people to check it out and make sure. He sent people down to Goshen. Go check it out. Let's see if this is really happening. Because Moses had just sat with Pharaoh and said, let the people go or here's what God's going to do. And hey, get out of here. And then it happened again. So Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. You think Pharaoh wanted to go down there and take the cattle after all his cattle died? Probably. Most likely. So let's look at what happened this time. This was the first time in all the plagues where something greater happened than just something affecting you. This was death. There was death in this story. This was death of the cattle and livestock. The fifth god that we're putting down was Hathor, the Egyptian goddess of love and protection. Usually, this Egyptian goddess was depicted with the head of a cow. Isn't that interesting? Fifth god, down. Head of a cow, golden calf, sound familiar? Okay. Just want to make sure you put that connection together there. Because you remember, in about six months, when they're out and Moses goes up on the mountain, they're like, back to our regular old gods, please. Somebody build us that golden calf. Yeah, it's good stuff. So let's look at Exodus 9, verses 8 through 11. We're going to get into number 6 here. Then the Lord... uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. Hmm, interesting. Never seen staph infection? Nasty. I don't even want to imagine what these look like. But Moses did it anyway. So it says he took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it in the air, and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. 
So now God has shown six times in a row over a few-month period that the gods that you're worshiping, the gods that they have led you to worship, are not gods. I am God. That is what, mo- that is what God is doing in this story. God is showing his power by letting these people know that the things they are worshiping, the idols in their life, that they are not going to save them, they're not going to help them, they're not going to add to their life, they're not going to take them to heaven, they're not going to feed them, they're not going to do any of the things, they're not going to be their provider. God is showing everybody, including Egypt. I wonder how many people in Egypt really in this story probably worshiped the Lord God after that. Seriously. The stories doesn't talk about it, but there had to be a heavy shift in Egypt after that. Some questionable people, probably some people put to death for worshiping that God, you know? Some martyrism going on. So this sixth God was Isis, the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace. And there's also possibly the other God would might have been Hemotep, the god of medicine, thought, and Sekhmet. These are some of the gods that they believe that this representation of a plague was affecting and showing that this God's not real. This God's not real. How many times can you sit in front of God and have God remove something from your life and show you his presence and you sit there like Pharaoh and just go, that didn't really happen. I'm not putting the pieces of that puzzle together. That connection's not really going on. You know, how about my story about landing at at, at the airport and finishing that book? And realizing what God's doing in my life and that Joshua's about to lead the children of Israel who'd lost for 40 years. I'm reading it at 40, meeting my dad that morning. How can you sit there, how could I sit there, experience something like this and go, that was total coincidence. Chance. Karma. You know, just whatever that weird, whatever the weird uh, modern day terminology would be to make it be, you know, there's, oh, it, it, right place, right time, you know, it was just one of those things. No, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't believe that. So the Egyptian plague was boils and sores. Anybody like boils and sores? Anybody like to drink blood? No blood drinkers, vampires, night tweakers, nobody? Okay. How about frogs? Everybody like to eat frog? Yeah, frog's good. How about frogs in your, in your bed? Everybody like that? All right. Gnats. Everybody like gnats? Oh, man. Weird. <laughs> you like to eat meat? Oh, well, what if all of our cattle died? You can eat nuts and fruit from the tree. Not the forbidden fruit either. So <laughs> let's take a look at number seven. Exodus 9, 23 through 24 and verse 26. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail, fe- hail, hail fell, and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Okay. Hey, Pharaoh, where are your, where are your magicians? We respect you and honor you as a god, because we'll get to him later. But we have some serious concerns right now. You remember when the water turned into blood? And the frogs and the gnats and the swarms of flies and our livestock died? You remember when all this was going on? 
boils and sores, I still have some. Now all of a sudden we experience the worst storm we've ever seen. So again, I'll backtrack you here. I grew up in Southern California. I uh, want to say in the last year there was a windstorm here in Yuba City. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. I'm not from Oklahoma. I have relatives from Oklahoma. But 50 mile an hour winds sounding like it was going to tear the roof off my house was a little odd to me. Probably not the worst storm I've ever seen, but now we're talking about the worst storm ever seen in the nation is happening right now. Hail is falling from the sky. You ever watch the, you've seen that hail in Texas? I've got an aunt in Texas. She sent pictures of the hail to my Facebook messenger. They were the size of this, they were this big, the hail that fell in Texas just recently. We're talking like that kind of a storm here is going on. But guess what? This storm is only happening where the Egyptians are living, not in Goshen again. So did I tell you, uh, where did I finish you? Yeah, 26. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. So was this another shot against a god? Absolutely. Let me tell you his name. His name was Nut, the Egyptian goddess of the sky. The Egyptian plague was hail rained down in the form of fire. So now, seventh god that we worship has really been shown up here, Pharaoh. I've got some concerns. Maybe, uh, maybe these gods aren't real. Can we just let them go? They've come seven times and said if we let them go, these things would stop. Why are we dealing with this? this the first three affected them. Nothing else is happening down there. They're living it up in Goshen. They got cattle. They got livestock. They don't have these boils and sores. No storms. Can we let them go? They just want to go worship their God. Well, we know what happened. It didn't happen. Exodus 10, verse 13. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. Oh, another one. Eighth god, Nepper, the Egyptian god of grain. The Egyptian plague was locusts, came from the sky. Why was this a direct shot against their god of grain? Because the locusts ate all the grain. Now their food sources are starting to deplete the livestock, the dead frogs. Because remember, the frogs went back and died. Um, now their food, now their grain is being eaten by these locusts. Pharaoh, eight of our gods are not doing their job. We're going to be stuck relying on you pretty soon. And we're hoping you make the right decision and let the people go. So the eighth god was Nepper, the god of grain. Locusts sent from the sky. Did I get that one? Nepper. Oh, you're already ahead of me. Okay, good. So let's look at this. Now I'm going to sum it up because I didn't want to say this before I got to the ninth god, but now that I'm there. Did you know that these gods were being shot down in order? From the lowest level god to the highest level god in Egypt? Yeah. What's one of the greatest gods that you hear about when you think of Egypt? Somebody, something they worship. Ra, the sun god. That's their great god, Ra. Well, we've already done eight. You know that guy Ra you count on? 
Well, Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. Last solar eclipse, I think, lasts about 17 minutes. That's a total solar eclipse. <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm an astronomy geek, so if you ever want to know about space and distance and some really weird stuff, including total solar eclipses, you can come talk to me on the side, outside of church. I'm amazed with space. I've learned so much about space, it did not change my faith in God. It actually strengthened my faith in God to know how perfect the universe is so wonderfully made. And so uh, a total solar eclipse lasts about 17 to 20 minutes. And people go from all across the world to find the places where they're going to be. And the last total solar eclipse, I believe, was here in the U.S. And the one before that was in, I want to say, Asia. So you only can see them at a certain time, and you got to be on that side of the planet when it happens. So Ra is the god of the sun, so now they get total solar eclipse for how long, folks? 72 hours. It's a long time. Do you know what happens to the earth when we don't have the sun? Well, for all you young kids in the room, I'll give you guys a little science lesson here. The sun comes out in the morning, and the temperature begins to climb. It climbs until the sun starts to begin to set at a certain point, depending on the season of the year. And as the sun goes down and gets closer to twilight and catches a different angle, the temperatures begin to cool. And when the sun completely disappears, we begin a cooling trend on Earth. Temperature drops, 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 drops. Dawn. Temperature stops and begins to go the other way. You know what an ice age is? It's where we don't have sun for a long period of time. Did you know that going three days without sun would continue to make your land extremely cold because it never went back up in temperature? So it was probably relatively uncomfortable in the land of Egypt. Besides the fact that it was pitch black and they can't see anything, it's probably pretty cold because there is no sun warming up the land. It's another interesting thought. Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. My favorite part. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they had lived. Oh, here we go, number nine. You know that God, that one that you put at the top of the list, Ra, your sun God? Sun feeds everything. Sun gives life. So they thought. He's not real either, guys. I'm going to show you. You guys are familiar with total solar eclipse? 20 minutes? Probably never seen one in the time you've been in Egypt because they've been all around the world. Well, I'm going to do one here for three days straight to show you that not only do I have power of the sun, but I have complete power of the sun. Three days worth. So the Egyptian plague here was three days of complete darkness. i got seven minutes, and I want to finish this up. I'm just trying to stick to the bullet points today, folks. I don't want to make you laugh out of your seats and picture things you don't want to picture from last week. So now, the Israelites and the Egyptians have watched nine gods that they were all worshiping be debunked right before them, including one of the most powerful of all, Ra, the sun god, debunked right in front of them. You know how he's debunked? Because not only did we say it would get dark, but we said when it would get dark, and it did, and for three days. That's where the power is. It's one thing to see something happen, but it's another thing to say it's going to happen, and then it happened, right? 
That's power. So Exodus 12, 29 through 30. Do you know who the most powerful God in Egyptian culture is? Pharaoh. Ultimate God. Numero uno. I am number one. I am eternal. I pass down my eternal gifts to my children. I am over all. Well, we're about to learn that that's just not so true. Now we're going to debunk your last God. Now that I've done nine plagues and you still haven't let my people go, and it was for good reason because I planned it this way to continue to flex my power. You know, God's got a little pumping going on. So he's all pumped up here. He says, you won't let the people go because you think you're the most all-powerful God? Watch this. Exodus 12, 29 through 30. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Well, I've got an interesting point for that, that it says there was not a house with someone dead. You grew up in Sunday school and pictured that all the children died. But guess what? All firstborn. Thank you, Jill. All firstborn. That means if you're the firstborn and you're 52, you died that night. And your wife was wailing in the streets. Everything firstborn died. So you know what that tells us? A couple things about this story that you probably didn't realize. I'll educate you a little. Pharaoh that sat on the throne was not the firstborn. Because he did not die. So he was not the firstborn. Probably had an older brother or something that, or sister that died. Or wasn't God, you know, their Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh's control, thinking he was a god, was shown he had no power by losing his own son that night. And we all know the story. I'm going to put the blood of the lamb. Who's the blood of the lamb represent? I want to hear it louder. All right, blood of the lamb is on the doorpost. Everybody with the blood of the lamb over their doorpost, over your heart. When the angel of the Lord comes through and kills all the firstborn, you won't die. And that's what happened. And there was loud wailing in the streets. And what did they do? Take all of our stuff and just get out of here. Now, none of our gods have any power. Even Pharaoh doesn't have power. Again, how do I tell you this? How many people in Egypt that stayed behind probably changed their faith through what was happening here? Probably a lot of people. So the tenth and final god that was knocked down was Pharaoh, the ultimate power of Egypt. Death of the firstborn. This is two times where death has occurred. Two times God's gotten the attention through death. Four minutes to wrap it up, and then I'm going to let Pastor Mark come up here and dismiss us out. My conclusion. I got like some good notes here. I'm not certain where you are on your journey with Christ. I'm not. Some of us who were born in the last hundred years, even longer, you're born here in the United States. The gospel of Christ is readily preached everywhere. God is so available to us, so available to you, your kids, your friends. We have the privilege and freedom here to worship the one true God. But how many of us are not doing that? How many of us have idols in our lives like I discussed last week? 
Do you know what will happen if we don't? I speak life over everything, okay? I try to. I try to speak life over everything in my life. My wife and I speak about that a lot. And anytime, it's never really her either. Anytime I say something that's not speaking life over into it, man, she whips me into shape. I'm a big guy. I'm scared of her. I'm not, I'm not lying. But you know something? You need to speak death over the idols in your life. You need to get rid of the idols in your life. Because do you know what will happen if you don't get rid of the idols that you have in your life that you've set up? God's going to deal with them just like he did with Israel and Egypt. He's going to begin to tear them away. And we all know what the last one was. We all know what the last one was. That's not what we want for us, for our loved ones. Some of us grew up and your grandparents took you to church, your parents took you to church. You got to hear God's word, you fell away. I loved, uh, I loved that Jill talked about that today, you know, pouring into your kids. I poured into my sons and my daughter. And the idol, we talked about last week idols, and I talked about creating altars in your lives for your children. Did you build altars that sports are on Saturday and Sunday and sports are more important and later you can worry about God? I never built that altar in my kids' lives. They'll tell you. The altar that I built in my kids' lives has been that on Sunday morning, as for me and my house, we go to church and we serve the Lord. My sons are in that later teenage years that Jill talked about, and they're not here every Sunday. But you know something? I know who lives inside of them, and I know where they're going to be on the Saturday that they decide, I need to go back to church. You know why? I know they'll make that decision because that's what they've been taught. And they know God. So, you know, some of us had that opportunity growing up, and some of us didn't. Some of us didn't have dads that loved us. Some of us didn't have dads at all. Some of us had a different life. And sometimes we have to take a good look at where God led us to. I grew up with a dad that did not love me. I grew up with a dad that not until I was 13 found out he never thought I was his son. tell you something sad I did not give him the satisfaction to know that I found out the truth because we have an estranged relationship have you been hanging out at church have you been uh, have you been hanging out at the barbershop where are you hanging out at what are you doing? This week, uh, I think it's time that we take a look into our lives. We take a look at what's important to us. Is it God first in my life or is it me first? Is it God first or job first? I understand we all have to work and pay our bills, but did you know that if you wake up with an attitude of gratitude and you make God first, that all those other things go well? And when you're at your job, you become a beacon of hope. And you're a light reflecting the love of Christ if you make God first in your life. And guess what? God knows the world we live in. The days of growing up on your father's property and raising generations and inheriting the land and people just living with each other and spending day in and day out with each other, those are 1,000 years old. They're over. God knows how to help us in, and use us in what today's world looks like. And today we have to go to work every day. So is it, God, is it work first or God first? Is it TV first or God first? Is it Sunday football, August through February, first, God second, or is it God first? 
Is it strong men? Or week two, removing idols, false gods. Okay? I love you guys so much. I'm, uh, I'm going to save a, huge, a bigger invitation probably for next week. And uh, it's 1130. It's Father's Day. I love you all. And I'm going to invite Pastor Mark back up to close. Good reminders. Good reminders. Thank you, Chris. Um, okay, fast mode. I remember one time I was doing teaching online and Dale texted me or emails me and said, you were going so fast we couldn't fill it in. Well, it's because I went to recording and I put it on 125% and then had a voice leveling so I could get done real fast. <laughs> so I'm going to do that right now. Um, when Jean and I were asked to uh, uh, come to this church uh, and partner with you, uh, we said yes immediately. And uh, at the time, our regional pastor uh, over in our organization, the Foursquare Church, was also our founding pastor. And he said, one of the things you need to do as soon as you can is find someone, identify someone that can be a campus pastor for you because you and Jill live an hour away and, and people need local contact and I said are you are you trying to get rid of me Rob he said no I want you I just want you to find someone that can partner with you to do those kinds of things and uh, so it has been a prayer that we have had uh, really since November of 2019 and it was some months ago uh, we had the opportunity of meeting a couple in sort of our neck of the woods in Roseville, and we shared this, and uh, Chris and Bibi shared that what God had put on their hearts several years ago that led them, when they came here, they knew this was the place that they were supposed to do what God had been speaking to them. And so you've heard Chris, and you've seen Bibi, and you maybe wondered, some of you are saying, oh, come on up. That night at McCooney in Roseville, um, we knew that the Lord had sent us the help that we needed. Gratefully, they're different. Come on, Jill. They're different than us, and that's good. Uh, and they're local, and that's good. And they're younger, and that's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you could, well, I have a pool too at our apartments, but anyway, that's another story for another time. Um, we, we shared this need at that dinner, and as we walked around the fountains in Roseville, I said, take some time. They said, we don't need time. And so I'm going to ask the rest of the council to come and, and join, join behind us, if you would, please. Um, <laughs> We've got a Pastor Chris sign. They call me Mark, now you're Pastor Chris. That's good. <laughs> That's okay. Um, this is not something that I am doing on my own. Please understand that. Uh, pastor Rob, our founding pastor, has been aware. Uh, pastor Jeff from Chico, who's now our regional overseer, actually had a conversations 
and called me and said, I want to sponsor them. And so they're going through the process in our organization to become licensed and ordained ministers as well. So, yeah. And, and I got an email. I guess I'm sponsoring you this week. So <laughs> they don't trust me with him. <laughs> they gave us. <laughs> so they'll be going through that process. And he, Chris is going to share again next week completing this. And then I'll be back. Um, I'm not done. Anyway, would you just extend your hand a blessing? Um, just know we are so grateful for God's calling on people's lives to help. So, Father, we thank you for this couple that heard your voice before they knew us, before they even knew this church, and have been saying yes to a question and providing an answer to, to a question they didn't even understand. They, they didn't even understand the circumstances. They were saying yes. And so thank you for their willingness to say yes. And thank you for their willingness to uh, be faithful and to respond. Um, I remember the first week they were here and I said to Jill, they'll never be back again. It was not one of my finer weeks. And yet here they stand because you placed them here and they said yes. So Lord, we ask for anointing on Chris as he uh, partners with us in serving this church family. Ask your anointing, your blessing, your wisdom, insight. I remember a prayer when I was early in the ministry. I'd say, Lord, give me wisdom beyond my years and experience. Give him that, I pray. Uh, may he be a 20-year veteran in his first year. <laughs> And he can be that because the Holy Spirit is in him. Pray for B.B. We know this is a real step for her. <laughs> we know she might even be afraid. Um, thank you. Thank you for a willing heart to support her husband, to minister to your church. May this be a great season for her. May she discover you in a way she's never known you before, Lord. We'll thank you for it. Amen. Amen. You can do that. That's fabulous. I feel 10 pounds lighter. <laughs> I actually, actually, I'm 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank God. Thank God. And what a wonderful day in the house of the Lord. God bless you. Have a great, great week.